today we're going to look at what Jesus' heart and motivation was for evangelism and how he went about evangelizing. So I want to begin by looking at Matthew 9, 35 to 38. So Jesus traveled through all the cities and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And whenever he went, he healed people of every sort of disease and illness. He felt great pity for the crowds that came because because their problems were so great and they didn't know where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. So this word, pity, um, oh, they've used compassion here. It can be translated as pity or compassion. And so this word, used in a literal setting, this word means like a twist of the gut. It's like, you know, your gut churns a knot in your stomach. And so when it's used figuratively here, they're talking about just that deep-seated compassion. The Jews believe that the stomach was the seat of pity and love, and so when it's saying that your stomach's churning, it's like your, when we say our heart's pouring out, crying out for them. This is the sort of compassion that Jesus felt for the people. And interestingly, this is also the same compa- compassion that the father felt in the prodigal son story. When he looked out and saw his son coming, he felt this same sort of compassion and came running to embrace him. And this is the sort of Compassion that fueled Jesus and fueled his sort of evangelism comes from this heart of love and care. And it talks about them, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. This compassion and care also comes in the type of nurturing, nurturing for the flock, for everyone there together, pulling us into a big family. You know, shepherds weren't always the owners of their sheep. Quite often they were charged with caring for their sheep from their owner. And like that, we have been called to care for the Lord's sheep. We don't own them. We never have really any authority over them. But the Lord asks us to care for them. And so in evangelising, it needs to be out of a heart of care. We want to care for people so much that we just want to connect with them. We want to teach them. I'd like to flip to Philippians 2, verse 1 to 8. Flip to Philippians. Is there any... Is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ... Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, 
Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too, for what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by by dying a criminal's death, death on a cross. When it comes to what Jesus did on earth, it always came out of a sense of humility and servanthood. He was always following, following the Father. Like it says in there, Jesus could have played the God card any time. He could have just been like, I'm God, I'm here, bow. But he didn't. He served as a beautiful example for us, showing the beautiful harmony of the Spirit outworking in the community. And so we can strive to be like Christ. He wanted to teach us a way of life. A way of life that is centred in care and compassion for him. You know, it can be difficult to love those who aren't that lovely, those who are loud, obnoxious at times, and the sick. I mean, you know, during the plague, it was the Christians that were all flocking to help the sick, and it was transformative for the community. You know, Jesus was so humble that he was talking with the prostitutes, eating with sinners, meeting with the sick. I just, you know, it's not the sort of thing you'd really expect nowadays from someone with from high status doing the groundwork. We always think, oh, you're a CEO. Oh, you must be up there in, you know, your penthouse floor taking care of everything. But Jesus was on the ground doing everything himself and teaching others around him. He had every right to hold himself above the world, but he chose not to. I think that just reveals this beautiful heart of Jesus that he chose to live like us, as one of us. He understands us. So I'd like to look at um, John 4, verse 1 to 30. This is this. Um, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. So Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptising and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptise them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samarian village of Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, 
sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Isn't that just so human? Sat wearily beside the well, like, oh, I'm tired, I just need to sit down. Soon a Samaritan woman came to him to draw water. And Jesus said, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water I gave them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to haul water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, You're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, but we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and is already here, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples arrived. They were astonished to find him talking to a woman, but none of them asked him why he was doing it or what they had been discussing. The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, Come! I meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I'll just skip to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay at their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many to believe them to hear his message and believe. 
I find this is just an incredible story about an encounter with Jesus, about Jesus sharing a bit of himself with the woman at the well. She just went out for water, just such a normal thing to do. She went out to draw some water from the well and she encountered Jesus. And Jesus just completely disregarded all the prejudice of the time, all the social, sexual, racist, racial prejudice. You know, it wasn't normal for men and women to just casually speak to each other. It certainly wasn't normal for a Jew and a Samaritan to talk to each other. And so Jesus just casually asking a woman for a drink at a well was actually a huge breakdown of all these prejudices. But he cared about her. He wanted, he wanted to reach her, wanted to talk to her. You see, wells, wells and water were part of their culture. Israel at times was quite a dry land, and so it's quite possible that this entire village relied on the well. And so Jesus is like, well, let me take your understanding of water and let's expand this. Let's talk about living water. And when he's talking to her about her marriages, he's not condemning her. He's just, he just responds with this grace and wisdom like, well, yes, it has happened. But he's not like, how dare you go do all of this? He's just responding through grace. And another interesting thing about marriage at the time was that marriage was a key part for the survival of women in Israel. Widows were often needed to be cared for by the community or by their sons and family. Young women would sometimes go back to their fathers. Like we know from the story of Ruth and Naomi, that was quite difficult for them to live. um, They had to go out and glean the fields. So gleaning, whenever you um, go through and you grab the... You know, you grab a handful of wheat and you cut it with the knife. There'll always be a few stalks that fall off. And so gleaning was always about collecting those stalks. Back in the Old Testament, um, back in the Old Testament law, it said that you're not allowed to glean your fields, that they should be left for those who need it. And so the Lord's provision allowed for those people who couldn't normally get work to be fed. And so we can see here that this woman has had many marriages so she probably had a quite a difficult life trying to survive and here's Jesus just bringing this living water to her showing this grace and peace Jesus met her in her need she needed water she needed salvation and she needed Jesus and he met her just as she was We need to be like Jesus in this situation, not conforming to social norms, not condemning her, showing grace, humility and kindness. Jesus taught his disciples a way of life. He showed them his heart and actions and he sent them to go and imitate him in the Great Commission.
Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. um, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, I've taught you, I've taught you a way of life. You know, we've been, in this evangelism series, we've been talking about kingdom lifestyles, about how, God, about how we need to be living, God is teaching us and living out this kingdom lifestyle, a lifestyle of evangelism, of care, of compassion. And so Jesus is saying, I've taught you, now go and disciple others. And it says, you know, teach them, teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. You know, the Jews liked the law and set them apart from the people around them. Before the Exodus in Genesis, the way they lived wasn't that different from the people around them. It was when the law came in that God was something like, I'm setting you apart. I'm going to teach you a new way to live. You know, specific clothes, specific foods. Jews loved being set apart. And now Jesus has set us apart. He's taught us a different way of life. You know, I've heard lots of stories about people just, you know, walking up to Christians and saying, there's something different about you. I can't quite put my finger on it. I mean, I was at trade school and there was um, someone in my class and she was just like, why are you so nice to me? It's like no one had ever really just been that nice to her. She, um, yes. So it's about going into all the nations to share this way of life, this truth that we found in our heart with Jesus. Jesus said, go live it, teach it, let it become a part of you. Let your evangelism come from a heart like Christ. Not just demanding it, not just yelling at people, but actually caring for someone so much that you're willing to spend the time, the energy, the effort to share the gospel with them. I think that's discipleship from the heart of Christ. And that's what evangelism meant to Christ. Can I just pray to finish off? Lord, we thank you for everything that you've been doing today, Lord. Lord, we thank you for everything with the Awakening Conference. Oh, Lord, we're so excited about what you're doing in all of our lives. I pray that you just continue to inspire us, Lord. Lord, continue to seed your word into our hearts. Let us be changed. Let us be changed by you. Lord, I pray that as we go out from here today, we'll be thinking about Lord, the compassion and the love of Christ, how we'll just want to share it with the people around us. Lord, 
Lord, help us to be more like you every single day. Lord, help us to be more and more like you. Help us to go on such a journey that we couldn't even imagine where we began.